are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to this Monday, July 12, 2021 edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, managing editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan. And pleased to bring you this Monday episode of Locked on Dolphins, which is brought to you by our friends at rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all of the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com for all your auto parts needs. And write Locked on in there, how did you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you. Today on the show, we have a little bit of everything. Kind of a weekend smorgasbord recap here. Uh, Starting first and foremost with a set of rankings that was conducted by CBS Sports, which was dedicated to identifying the best teams of the Super Bowl era in NFL history. Now, of course, the Miami Dolphins, their stake in this argument is the 1972 Miami Dolphins are the only undefeated Super Bowl champions in the history of the NFL. That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good argument to have. The Dolphins finished second in this set of rankings of the top 10 teams. So CBS Sports, uh, this was written by Brian Diardo, and I'll read through the top 10, and we'll we'll talk about what they had to say about the Dolphins specifically. Uh, number 10, the 1999 St. Louis Rams, 16-3, including the playoffs, 526 points, which was then an NFL record. The 1986 New York Giants, 17-2, including the playoffs, defeated the next two Super Bowl champions in the playoffs of that season by a combined score of 66-3. to The 1966 Green Bay Packers, 14-2, including the playoffs, 11 Hall of Fame players on the schedule. The 1998 Denver Broncos, 17-2, including the playoffs. The 1976 Oakland Raiders, 16-1, including playoffs, seven Hall of Fame players, and John Madden. 1992 Cowboys, 16-3, including the playoffs. 1984 San Francisco 49ers, 18-1, including the playoffs. Of course, that was the team that defeated Dan Marino in his lone appearance in the Super Bowl. Number three, 85 Chicago Bears, 18-1, lone loss that season. Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins, number two, the 1972 Miami Dolphins, 17-0, top-ranked offense and defense, shutout Washington's offense. Of course, they had shutout, the only shutout in Super Bowl history, if not for one of the all-time folliest follies of NFL history. And number one, the 1978 Pittsburgh Steelers, who were 17-2, featured 10 Hall of Fame players. Beat the Cowboys 35-33 in Super Bowl thirteen. Uh, pretty much the argument here uh, against the Dolphins being number one, CBS Sports wrote, hungry to avenge their 24-3 loss to the Cowboys in Super Bowl six. Don Shula's team did not lose a single game in route to defeating the Browns and Steelers on the road in the playoffs before outplaying Washington in Super Bowl seven. Miami would have recorded the only shutout in history, if not for one of the most iconic blunders in te- league history. The Dolphins can continue to take pride in being the NFL's only unblemished team, but the fact that they faced just one team, an 8-6 and six Chiefs team, that finished with a winning record during the regular season left them one spot off the top of this list. 
So I hear that argument. I understand that was the whole strength of schedule thing if you're trying to poke holes in Miami's resume, but Pittsburgh lost two games coming in at number one. And I thought, oh, okay, they had 10 Hall of Famers. That's really impressive. Until you scroll further up here and you see there are teams that have more Hall of Fame players on them, the 66 Packers, who finished with the same amount of losses, than what the number one team that they ranked the Pittsburgh Steelers from 1978 did. So, um, I don't know. I have a hard time seeing a team with two losses being the greatest team in the Super Bowl era, especially when the team that you put number two went on the road for two games in the playoffs and won them both and did not lose a game the entire season. I don't know. That's just me. What I do appreciate about this ranking, though, is there was none of that get-cute stuff. Like, you'll see rankings that have the... The Patriots, the year they went 18-1 and and lost the Super Bowl. Like, there will be people that have that team as the greatest team in NFL history. Okay. Team didn't even win the Super Bowl. Weren't even the best team that year. And you know what? That's why you play the game. Maybe they're a more talented team, but they didn't win the championship. Your argument is null and void. Get all the way up out of here as far as I'm concerned if you're trying to include non-Super Bowl teams in that conversation. Speaking of goats, Jason Taylor back on the preseason schedule for the Dolphins on the uh, color commentary. It's exciting. CBS 4 in Miami announced uh, the broadcast team for the Dolphins preseason broadcasts. And a little bit of a change. Of course, the Dolphins, along with everybody else, did not play preseason contests last year because of COVID-19. So the last time the Dolphins played in the preseason, the last time Jason Taylor was on the call was... In 2019, Jason Taylor will be joined with sideline reporter Kim Bocamp, or another familiar face for plenty of Dolphins fans. But you probably have to be a South Florida sports fan to recognize the new play-by-play personality, Steve Goldstein. Steve Goldstein, the play-by-play broadcaster for the Florida Panthers, uh, joining the Dolphins' preseason schedule. Of course, uh, that looks different in the regular season when you get national broadcasts versus everything else. So uh, the Dolphins at Chicago, home versus Atlanta, at Cincinnati, that at Cincinnati is a nationally broadcast game. But I'm excited to hear JT back in the booth again. You know, he's obviously got such a great mind for the game and is so accomplished. And I think this is a great showcase and potential stepping stone for him to more opportunities if he wants them and wants to pursue them. And uh, getting a chance to hear him talk about the Dolphins is is going to be great. So I'm excited to hear that Jason Taylor is back in the fray doing the analyst, the color commentary uh, for the Dolphins preseason broadcast, which are right around the corner because Chicago is about a month from today. So first preseason game is in about a month. Can you believe it? Tell you what else might be hard to believe. Our friends at Built Bar have 10 different flavors that you can choose from of the world's most delicious and delightful protein bar. These things, 100% chocolate, they're high in fiber, high in protein, low in calories, low in sugar. 
Whether you need something to replace a meal throughout the day, something to grab and go, something after a workout, you name it. This is like eating a candy bar. This is not like eating the sole of your shoe or any of these other run-of-the-mill protein bars. And right now, you can visit BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and save 15% off your next order of the world's most delicious protein bar. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15, to save 15%. Can you believe that? I would like to use this opportunity to officially name Bucky Brooks of NFL.com a friend of the pod. Bucky Brooks last week named his five most underrated talents in the NFL. And coming in at number three, one Miami Dolphins defender, Jerome Baker. A nice sighting there. Uh, obviously, we've talked a little bit about Jerome this offseason and the things that he does uh, what he has become, the way he is developing as a player. So Brooks's full list. You had Matthew Stafford, quarterback for the Rams, at number one. You had J.C. Jackson, corner for the New England Patriots, at number two. Jerome Baker at number three. Robert Tanyan, the tight end from the Green Bay Packers, at number four. And Carolina Panthers' new signee, Hassan Reddick, at number five. Here's what he had to say about Baker. If you're only familiar with Baker's name because of the three-year, $39 million extension that he signed this offseason, you have missed out on watching the emergence of one of the NFL's best young linebackers. The fourth-year pro has led the Dolphins in tackles in back-to-back -back seasons while also demonstrating big playability as a second-level pass rusher, seven sacks in 2020. If Miami's going to take the next step as a playoff contender, number 55 will play a major role in helping the team Get over the hump. Amen to that, Bucky. Preach. I mean, we, we've talked about the next-gen stats and coverage and the value that he brings there and his third-down value and how he's really grown and developed in that capacity to make an impact on passing downs and how that's really rare for linebackers in the NFL. So when you have a guy who can do it, you covet that, that player. And that's what the Dolphins did. And the Dolphins told you what they thought of Jerome Baker when they signed him to a three-year, $39 million contract extension. So, Baker's going to be around a while, and if he continues to develop, then look out. Like, he's probably going to have an opportunity, now that he's been put on the national radar with the big money, to kind of change the narrative this season. And if he he made the point of emphasis that he wants to get, continue to get better against the run, if he does that on top of everything else, man, we're gravy. We are gravy, guys. I can't wait to see what Bake looks like this year. Which brings me to kind of the, the big picture viewpoint that I'd like to talk about for a little bit today here before we finish with a fantasy slant. Uh, I think we really need to, and we've talked about this on the pod as well, but we really need to applaud the Dolphins for their ability to find a way to simultaneously improve both the supporting cast for Tua Tonga-Valoa, a potential upgrade along the offensive line between all the, the mid-level free agent signings that they made in the drafting of Liam Eikenberg and, and choosing to prioritize the tackle position once again. Alongside these upgrades that they have made on the defensive side of the, book, the football, and we've, we've talked about how they've chose to invest in the defense and the investments they made in the defense last year 
yielded all of these significant statistical improvements in points allowed and production and sacks and turnovers and so on and so forth. But at the beginning of the offseason, we laid out some needs for the defensive side of the ball. We pointed to middle linebacker, designated pass rusher or outside pass rush, and nickel corner. And can, you, can we just take for a split second, because as Jerome, players like Jerome Baker continue to ascend and develop, the fact that the defense was the identity of this team last year, let's be honest, it was. Opportunistic play, really good on third downs, pretty good in the red zone, manufactures a lot of game-breaking plays and turnovers. Their number one need, inside linebacker. They didn't really have anybody with any consistency there. Well, they traded for Bernardrick McKinney, they sent Shaq Lawson away, and they signed Duke Riley, who uh, is going to be a, a special teams player and a third-down coverage depth piece for Miami if everybody stays healthy. And then your designated pass rusher slash outside pass rusher, you draft Jalen Phillips in the first round. And then at nickel corner, you sign Justin Coleman. You've opened up Noig Benogany to potentially play inside after getting trained on the fundamentals of the position last year, just focusing on your footwork and route pattern recognition and so on and so forth. And you also draft Javon Holland, who, oh, by the way, is going to replace Bobby McCain at free safety. So... You think about all of the good things that existed with this defense and, and what allowed it to be the identity of the team, and you trade away Shaq Lawson, you cut Kyle Van Noy, you cut Bobby McCain. I get it. They're your veteran pieces. But, like, Bernardrick McKinney's not some nobody coming in here to step into the middle linebacker role. Jalen Phillips might be the physically most physically talented defender in this year's class. He had the best tape, I can tell you that. And then Coleman, Igbenogany, Needham, you put them all together, at the very least, the competition's going to make that better. That's exciting to think about. And they, they managed to do all of that while having a second-year quarterback that they knew they needed to completely overhaul the supporting cast for, which they did. This is not to say that this is all going to work, Right? But they are continuing to invest in the defensive side of the ball. They're continuing to invest in the offensive line. And they made enough of an investment into a different kind of supporting cast for Tua Tungvaloa between bringing Albert Wilson back and having patience to let him show that he's healthy and potentially make the run to come back onto the, the roster and signing Will Fuller and drafting Jalen Waddell and signing Robert Falls. Like That's a really different group than what you had last year. A really different group. So I, I just think we need to take that moment to appreciate all that there was perceived to be done on the offensive side of the ball. And other than running back, and they, they made the choice not to reach on that. That was their choice. Does it make it right, wrong? No. And again, they're not going to bat a thousand. Nobody does. But they positioned themselves, Chris Greer and Brian Flores positioned this team to continue to invest in the identity of their team on the defensive side of the ball, to continue to invest in the offensive line, which has been a bigger point of emphasis for this regime than it's ever been for any regime in recent memory, and you completely overhauled the supporting cast. Bravo. Seriously, bravo. I think the ceiling for this, I think the, the floor for this year's defense is higher 
And I think the ceiling's higher than last year's as well. And we all know, if you watched any amount of Dolphins football outside the first three of the first four games they played last year, how exciting that is. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high-quality service online for the last 20 years. So whether you're shopping for engine control modules, brake parts, taillights, motor oil, or even new carpet for your classic or daily driver, RockAuto.com has everything you need in one easy-to-navigate catalog, and in just a few clicks, you can get everything delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, price are the same at RockAuto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com for all of your auto parts needs and write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. To bring us to a close today, Towards the end of the last week, we were focused a little bit on the Miami Dolphins and a fantasy outlook for individual players on the team, and we, we went through projections. But what we did not go through was who is projected to be the most valuable player or, or the highest-ranked Miami Dolphins fantasy player in 2021. So effectively, if you could only get one member of the Miami Dolphins team on your fantasy team this year, who should it be? Well, let's take a look at the rankings. So Yahoo Sports has Miles Gaskin projected to be the 44th most valuable player in fantasy football. That figure is good for number one of members of the Miami Dolphins. Number two is Will Fuller at 82. Number three is Mike Isecki at 95. Nowhere to be found to a tongue of Aloha. Projected ranking 174 in Yahoo leagues with their base default settings for scoring. ESPN actually has Tua Tagovailoa uh, ranked quite high in their projections. And remember, there was some variance in, in Tua and, and how he was perceived uh, to have value moving forward, uh, but he is ranked as Tua is uh, the 35th most valuable player in fantasy football in their scoring setting for the 2021 season, just ahead of. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr. Nice little chunk of players that he's projected uh, to sit in front of. Just behind Austin Jones, Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Ben Roethlisberger, Daniel Jones, Matt Ryan. So that's kind of the bucket that Tua is put in by ESPN. Uh, number two, according to ESPN, is Miles Gaskin. Uh, Miles Gaskin is projected as number 75 in the ESPN scoring landscape. Uh, the most valuable in CBS, Tua Tagovailoa. He is projected to be CBS, according to their projections and their scoring model, as tied for the 19th highest scoring quarterback. He's behind Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, some of those other familiar names. Uh, 
but he's their 20th overall projected player uh, with only Christian McCaffrey projected to collect more points than he will on the season. Uh, Miles Gaskin is, of course, Miami's top projected player uh, according to CBS Sports that is not a quarterback. So if you could only have one, knowing that two out of the three leagues that we've referenced last week project to a Tungavaloa to be the highest scoring player on the Dolphins team. But his projection amongst quarterbacks is a mid-tier. A, I think that's going to help you make sure you get him if you do want to prioritize him. But call me crazy. I'd rather have Miles Gaskin on my fantasy team than Tua Tungvaloa because you know at the very least, if you're in a point per reception, a PPR league, Gaskin's going to get the football in the passing game. He was very good at it. He was very good in pass pro, so he's always going to be on the field on third downs. The only risk here is if he gets hurt again like he did last year with the MCL sprain and then he got COVID. So that, to me, feels like a really high level. Now, is he going to start for me every week? He'll probably be a flex option. But uh, just from the perspective of being a Dolphins fan, and then this is something I always struggle with, is compartmentalizing my forecast for the team, my optimism for the team, and how the players actually do. If you can only get one guy, well, obviously, I think Mike Gusecki is is a really good option at the tight end position where there's not a lot of top-end value. Um, but don't get suckered into a run, right? Like if Kittle and Kelsey go and somebody takes Hawkinson, don't panic and draft Mike too early just because you think the tight ends are going to go. I would try to get Miles Gaskin on my fantasy squad. And I'm going to try and get you back on this podcast again later this week. We've got four more shows this week. Tomorrow's Power to the Pod. You could tweet at LockedOnFins with a PH or leave a review on the show. And we will read as many of your questions as we possibly can tomorrow. And then we got three more shows after that. So lots to look forward to. Training camp right around the corner. So keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. I'm Kyle Krabs. Thanks, as always, for listening. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day.